Good evening. Good to be together tonight. Appreciate all the songs we've been able to sing over the last few minutes, but especially that last one, How Great Is Our God. I think that's the thought that should come to our minds whenever we study the Gospel of Mark as we've been working through this Gospel together over the last little while. How great is our God whose Son came to this earth in the form of a man who demonstrated the greatest love that could possibly be demonstrated to ultimately die on the cross for us. We know how this story ends, not just dying and being buried, but rising on the third day. I look forward to continuing to look at his story, continuing to look at how he interacts in this text, not only with the Pharisees, but also with his disciples, and to, based on that, consider how Jesus interacts with us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark the 8th chapter. That's where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Appreciate Luke reading that section of Scripture for us. Did a great job with that. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to join me there in Mark the 8th chapter. And in just a minute, we'll begin in verse number 11. I'm sure that we're all familiar with the term diagnosis. You go to a doctor because something is bothering you, something seems to be off. The doctor examines your symptoms, perhaps runs a few tests, and based on those symptoms, based on those tests, forms a diagnosis for what's going on, for what's wrong with you in that particular moment. It reminds me of the dog owner who called the vet in a panic one afternoon and said, we just noticed that our dog has a massive growth inside of his mouth. Could you see him right now? The vet said that he could, so they rushed the dog to the vet's office, took the dog into the vet. The vet immediately saw the dog, began inspecting the dog. The dog owner behind was standing behind watching all this happen with his hand over his mouth, just so worried about his dog and this newly formed growth on the dog's mouth. The vet turned around and looked at the dog owner with a very serious look on his face and asked, do you have any children? And the dog owner, of course, that heightened his anxiety even more. Well, yeah, I have children. Is this contagious? This is affecting my dog. Do you, do you think this could affect them? He said, no, it's just bubblegum. You know, I imagine that that diagnosis was pretty good for the dog owner. I imagine that that was pretty comforting. As we look at Mark chapter 8 over the next couple of Sunday nights, not just tonight in verses 11 through 21, but as we continue throughout the chapter, Lord willing, next week, we're going to be talking about the topic of having hard hearts. It's pretty easy to get there, isn't it? It's pretty easy to live our lives there. It's easy, if we're not careful, for our hearts to become hard. Our hearts to become hardened to who Jesus is, what Jesus offers to us, what Jesus expects from us, and what Jesus is capable of doing in our lives. Instead of our hearts being soft and moldable, sometimes our hearts become like stone. When our hearts become like stone, nothing is going to be able to enter into them. Jesus, His Word, is not going to be able to enter into them when Jesus and His Word is not able to enter into our hearts because they become hard. It's going to be really hard to live the Christian life. It's going to be really hard to reflect Jesus on a daily basis. It's going to be really hard to live a life where you are constantly in love with Jesus. So this 
evening, as we study together, I want you to consider this very simple question, but I want you to think about it. Is your heart hard? You know what's so tricky about a hard heart? Sometimes it's very difficult to diagnose. Sometimes it's very difficult to see, especially if we're attempting to see it within ourselves. Take a second to consider, has your heart become hardened to Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus is capable of, and what Jesus expects from you on a daily basis? Instead of your heart being soft and moldable, has it become like a stone where nothing spiritual, where Jesus, His Word, is not able to enter into it? As we consider that question tonight, in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21, as we said a few minutes ago, we're going to be looking at two different groups of people. The first group is the Pharisees. The second group is Jesus' own disciples, Jesus' own apostles. But those two groups have something in common in this section of Scripture. Their hearts are hard. So as we examine this text and we look at those two different groups, tonight I want us to notice the symptoms of their hard hearts. As we look at those symptoms, I want us to evaluate ourselves. Do I see those symptoms in me? Has my heart become hardened to who Jesus is and what Jesus offers on a daily basis? I want to suggest three symptoms to you tonight that if we can check by these boxes, if we have these symptoms, it might be the case that we can diagnose ourselves with having hard hearts. Number one, symptom number one, we might have hard hearts if we are insincerely searching for proof. Look at that last half of Mark chapter 7, the first 10 verses of Mark chapter 8. Jesus is on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee from where we typically see him. He's in Gentile country, interacting not with Jews, but with Gentiles. But as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, as we were studying in Mark chapter 8 and verse 10, after Jesus feeds the 4,000 with only seven loaves and a few small fish, the Bible says he got into the boat with his disciples and sails back to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. As soon as he gets to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, entering into our text for tonight, verse number 11 says that the Pharisees came and they began to fight with him. They began to argue with him as they oftentimes did, but this time they were making a very specific request. The Bible says in verse number 11 that the Pharisees were seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now that's kind of odd whenever we think about what we've covered in the Gospel of Mark. Because you go back to Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees saw Jesus perform a miracle. They saw Jesus heal the paralyzed man who was let down through a hole in the roof. They were in that group that day. They witnessed that event. Then you go to the next chapter in Mark chapter 3. The Pharisees knew that Jesus was capable of casting out demons. However, they debated about the source of Jesus casting out demons. Remember that? They said that the source of His power was not from God, but He casted out demons by the power of the prince of demons. Jesus' miracle working power is not from God. It's from Satan. They couldn't deny that the miracle happened. So they tried to debate about the source of the miracle. The Pharisees have seen Jesus perform miracles. They've witnessed it. They know that Jesus can do it. So when you come to Mark chapter 8 and verse 11, why are they arguing with Him? Why are they seeking from Him, the text says, a sign from heaven? Well, the text tells us there at the end of verse number 11, it was to test Jesus. 
Here, I don't believe that the Pharisees are asking Jesus to perform just another miracle. To heal somebody or to cast out a demon as they've seen in the past. They're asking for a miracle that's greater. They're asking for a miracle that's higher. They're asking for a sign from heaven. In other words, a miracle that only God Himself could do. For instance, if we go back to the Old Testament, I believe the Pharisees are asking for something on the same level as God parting the Red Sea through Moses in Exodus chapter 14 and the Israelites walking through on dry land. They're asking for something like the walls of Jericho falling as the Israelites march around them six times the first six days, but then seven times on the seventh day. They're asking for something like fire coming from heaven in 1 Kings chapter 18 and consuming the altar of Elijah while he was standing in front of and disputing with the prophets of Baal on that occasion. They're not just asking for some other miracle which could be duplicated by the magicians of the day. They're asking for a clear sign from heaven. A clear sign that only God could perform that Jesus is who He claims to be. Do you think that they're sincere in making that request? Do you think that they're sincere in seeking this sign from heaven? I think I've already showed my hand on what I think about this when you look at point number one. They were insincerely searching for proof. I don't think that the Pharisees are asking for a sign from heaven because they're wanting to follow Jesus. They're asking a sign for a sign from heaven because they want to test Jesus. They've seen so much proof from Jesus about who He is and what He's capable of. And they've rejected it up to this point. Why would they accept additional proof? Why would they accept something greater? I think it's because of their insincerity, their desire to test that Jesus rejects their request in verse number 12. Notice how it impacts him emotionally. The Bible says that he sighed in his spirit. The hard hearts of the Pharisees in this text broke Jesus' heart. It grieved him. This was distressing to Jesus. He sighed in his spirit and asked what I believe to be a rhetorical question. Why does this generation seek a sign? In other words, have you not got enough proof? Have you not seen enough from me when it comes to my miracle working capability? Whenever it comes to my teaching, you've rejected all of it. Why are you seeking for an additional sign? He continues on to say in almost an oath-like structure, a very strong way of saying, I'm not going to give you anything. No sign will be given to this generation. Matthew's account adds to that at the end of chapter 16 and verse 4, except the sign of Jonah. Well, what's the sign of Jonah? Matthew actually told us what the sign of Jonah was a little bit later in his, a little bit earlier in his gospel. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says they're not going to receive any sign from heaven from me. The only sign that they're going to receive is my death, my burial, and my resurrection. And so when you look at the end of verse number 12 going into verse number 13, after Jesus has this back and forth with the Pharisees, He gets back into the boat, sails again across the Sea of Galilee to the Gentile region, the Gentile territory, which was more open which was more accepting. We see that again throughout the last half of chapter 7 and the first 10 verses of chapter 8. But I think this is the first symptom. When we look at verses 11 through 13, we might have hard hearts if we are insincerely searching 
for proof. Now, let me say this. It's not a bad thing to search for proof. I believe that there's adequate evidence, there's ad- adequate proof that is readily available to us about the major tenets of Christianity, specifically the existence of God, the inspiration of the Bible, the deity of Jesus, looking in detail at the resurrection of Jesus, which is so significant in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's so much proof out there that's ready, readily available to us that we need to put our hands on to the truth of Christianity. You know what a soft heart's going to do when it's presented with proof and evidence? It's going to follow where the evidence leads and receive the evidence into the heart. You know what a hard heart's going to do? A hard heart is going to reject the evidence that's there and then continue on to insincerely search for more or even greater proof. And I'm not judging this person's heart, but just to use this as an illustration, came across an atheistic website where someone asked him the question, what would it take for you to believe in God? What would it take for you to become a Christian? After about six paragraphs of mocking Christianity, he went on to say, God would either have to appear to me in the flesh or he would have to speak to me directly. Do you think that that's a sign of a hard heart? Someone who has rejected the proof that's already there. Someone who has rejected the evidence that's already there. And mocked the evidence that's already there to move on to insincerely ask and search for more proof. Symptom number one of diagnosing a hard heart. We might have hard hearts if we're like the Pharisees, insincerely searching for proof. Number two, we might have hard hearts. Symptom number two, if we're not understanding Jesus's teachings. Jesus and his disciples, we said at the end in verse 13, they get into the boat again and they sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. As they are in the boat together, Jesus takes an opportunity to warn them. Jesus takes an opportunity to teach them, to caution them. He says in verse number 15, watch out. Older translations, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Of course, Jesus is obviously there trying to communicate to them something about the Pharisees' teaching, something about Herod's teaching, who they were, the kind of hearts that they had. This was an important warning for Jesus' disciples, not only because the teaching and the lifestyle and the hearts of the Pharisees were dangerous, but also because they were contagious. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be influenced by the Pharisees, especially after coming out of a conversation like this one in verses 11 through 13. He doesn't want their hearts to become like their like the Pharisees hearts. But can you see how they've already been impacted? They've already been influenced when we look at chapter eight, verses 14 through 18. As the disciples are sailing across the Sea of Galilee, they they realize that they forgot something. Have you had a moment like that before? Where the light bulb just finally turns on and you think, oh, I forgot that. That's what happens to the disciples in verse number 14. They realize that they had forgotten to bring bread. On that boat, they only had one loaf of bread for 13 grown men. That's not going to go very far. Apparently, it was their job to make sure they had bread, to make sure they had food for their journey, and they had failed on that. And so when Jesus offers the warning, watch out for the leaven, notice the wording there, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, what did the disciples think? Jesus is getting on to us. Jesus is, is getting us in trouble. 
Because we forgot to bring bread. Verse 15, or rather verse 16 says that they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Can you picture them? Jesus is trying to make to them a spiritual point about the hypocritical teaching and heart and lifestyle of the Pharisees. And when he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, Jesus knows what we did. Jesus knows that we forgot to get the bread. We need to do better than that. When ne next time, we need to make sure that we remind each other not to forget the bread. Well, Jesus knows what they're talking about. He not only knows it, He actually calls them out for it whenever you keep reading in verse 17. Jesus, aware of this, begins to ask them a series of questions. First question, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why are you talking about this? Why is this something that you're concerned about? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Jesus says, are you ignorant to who I am? Do you not understand what I'm trying to tell you? Jesus was trying to make to them a spiritual point about the Pharisees and they didn't get it. They didn't understand Jesus' teaching. But notice that wasn't just an ignorance problem. It wasn't just a lack of understanding. At the very end of verse number 17, look at that last question. Are your hearts hardened? I believe that they were. Their hearts were hard to Jesus. And because their hearts were hardened to Jesus, because their hearts had become like stone, they weren't able to understand what Jesus was trying to tell them. They weren't understanding, they weren't perceiving the caution, the warning that Jesus was offering to them. They had eyes, verse 18, but they didn't see. They had ears, but they didn't hear. Symptom number two of having a hard heart, we might have hard hearts if we're not understanding Jesus' teaching. It reminds me of a story that I heard from a preacher named B.J. Clark. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that name or have heard him preach before. He tells a story about a Bible study that he had with a man on his front porch. They were sitting and talking about the Bible. This man didn't believe that you needed to be baptized to be saved. So B.J. Clark asked him to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, the verse that's up on the screen, and asked him to read it out loud. So that's exactly what he did. He opened up his Bible to 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 and started to read it. Baptism does not now save you. B.J. Clark stopped it. Wait, hold on just a second. Would you reread that again? I think you might have been a little bit off there. He said, sure, I'll read it again. Baptism does not now save you. And he stopped him again. No, I, read it again and this time read it really carefully. Baptism does not now save you. And that's what he kept reading. B.J. Clark said that he doesn't think that he ever saw what the passage actually said. Again, I'm not trying to judge people's hearts. I'm not trying to judge where people stand. But consider, do you think that comes from a hard heart? Do you think that this person was unwilling or unable to receive what God's Word so clearly teaches in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21? Because his heart was hard. His heart was like a stone. And the truth of that verse wasn't able to enter in? Perhaps we have hard hearts when we're not able to understand Jesus' teachings. Now, this is not to say that some parts of the Bible are not difficult, because they are. Peter admits that in 2 Peter 3. I think that we can admit it too. Try to read the book of Revelation and come back to me next week. You'll see how difficult biblical interpretation can be sometimes. 
But I think generally it's the case. God has communicated to us in a way that we can understand. Are you having problems understanding the Bible? Are you having problems in your desire to understand the Bible? Like the man we talked about a few minutes ago, do you read Scripture and then walk away with a completely different message than what's written on the page? That could be a symptom whenever we look at Mark chapter 8 of having a hard heart. And then finally, number three, in diagnosing a hard heart, the third symptom, not remembering the significance of Jesus' actions. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. For 13 grown men, they had one loaf of bread. But when you look back through everything we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, was that really a problem for Jesus? Was that really an issue? Do you think that they were going to starve? Do you think they were going to go hungry with Jesus in the boat? That's what Jesus questions them. He, he asked them at the end of verse number 18, He says, do you not remember? Do you not remember what? Well, go back to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. This is verse number 19. Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? He not only asked them about what happened. Do you remember when this happened? But think about how you were involved in it, Jesus says. You remember how many baskets of full of broken pieces of bread you picked up? Started out with five we fed more than five thousand and you picked up baskets filled up with leftover bread how many did you get they answered saying 12 and that was the right answer they remembered it then jesus continues when you look at verse number 20 what about what happened just a few days ago in mark chapter 8 verses 1 through 12 when jesus fed the four thousand with only seven loaves when he multiplied them he asked the disciples how were you involved in that? How do you remember it? How many baskets full of bread did you pick up? They said seven. And that was the correct answer. They remembered the event itself. They remembered how it played out. They remembered how they were involved in it. They remembered how Jesus took the loaves, multiplied them, fed the multitude. They even remembered how many baskets they picked up themselves. I think what they had forgotten was the significance of those events. They remembered the events themselves, but from that they had forgotten. From that they weren't understanding who Jesus was. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who can provide. They remembered the event in Mark chapter 6, remembered the event earlier in Mark chapter 8, but what they didn't remember is that Jesus could take that one loaf that was with them in the boat and feed the entire world with it. That's what they had forgotten. They hadn't forgotten the event itself. They had forgotten about the significance of the events. And because they had forgotten the significance, they weren't understanding, they were ignorant, they were worried, they were stressed out. They felt like they were in the wrong because they weren't remembering the significance of what Jesus had done for them in the past. Symptom number three of a hard heart. Not remembering the significance of Jesus' past actions. Let me give you just one example of that. And there's a lot of different examples, I think, that we could list. But do you know a Christian, or, or maybe you've thought this yourself, you wonder, am I really saved? Does God really love me? Is He really interested in me? And if so, how can I know that for sure? Well, do you remember reading about Jesus in the New Testament? 
Do you remember reading about how Jesus died for you and he was buried for you and he rose for you on the third day? Well, yeah, I've, I've read that before. Do you remember the day when you followed him into the waters of baptism? And you made that commitment to him? Your sins were washed away? Acts 22 and verse 16? Well, yeah, I, I remember the day that I was baptized. Okay, do you just remember the day? Do you just remember reading about Jesus and reading about what Jesus did for you? Or do you remember the significance of it? There's a big difference between those two things. Do you remember reading Jesus died for me? Or do you remember the significance that Jesus' blood takes away sin? Jesus' resurrection offers hope for eternal life. Do you remember wading into the waters of baptism? And I remember what, what clothes I was wearing. And I remember the baptismal robe that I had to put on. If you had to do that, I remember where it was. I remember who the preacher was. I remember how cold the water was. Or I remember how warm it was. Do you remember the event? Or do you remember the significance behind it? That in that moment, the old man was crucified in Romans chapter 6. And the new man was raised up out of the water. Having a hard heart causes us not to forget what Jesus has done, but to forget the significance of what Jesus has done. And when we forget about what the, the significance of what Jesus has done in our lives, we don't view Him properly. We've, we don't view Him like the disciples, as the Christ, as the Messiah, the Provider, the Protector, the One who's going to be with us, the One who's not going to leave us, our Savior, the One who has secured not just salvation here, temporary, but eternal salvation. A hard heart doesn't remember any of that. Maybe you can look back on your life and you can remember specific events where Jesus was with you. Are you allowing the significance of those events to continue into the present and the future? Because Jesus was with me there, I know He's going to be with me here. And because He was with me there, I know He's going to be with me regardless of what I face in the future. A hard heart causes us to forget those things. To not understand the significance of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so we circle back to this question. Is your heart hard? Like we said this morning, that's a question that takes some thinking. That's a question that takes some reflection because it's not always easy to see. I think this text helps us though to think about the different symptoms of a hard heart. How we can diagnose ourselves with having a heart that's not soft, but a heart that's like stone. Are you insincerely searching for proof? Are you having problems understanding the Bible or understanding Jesus' teaching? Are you having problems remembering and applying the significance of what Jesus has done for you in the past? If there's a check mark next to those boxes in your mind and in your life, it might be the case that you could stand alongside of the Pharisees and stand alongside of Jesus' apostles and saying, my heart is hard. A diagnosis is difficult, but do you realize that a diagnosis is actually a good thing? Now the problem is not a good thing, but a diagnosis is a good thing. Because once you get the diagnosis, you know what's wrong. Once you get the diagnosis, you're able to take steps forward to fix it. Once you get the diagnosis, you're able to look forward to see who you can be spiritually in Christ. And so we'll ask it one more time. 
Is your heart hard? Tonight, we've done what we can to diagnose a hard heart. Lord willing, whenever we come together next week, we'll think about what we can do to fix our hard hearts. But if we can help you tonight through encouragement, through prayer, through study, we would love to do that. We would love to offer that invitation to you as together we stand and sing.